Well, 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 we are back and live again from the Counselor's Connection Studio. It sounds fancy, don't it? Man, I'm just at my desk recording. This is the Counselor's Connection. I'm your host, Fabian Biggs. And on this episode, we have a couple of special guests. We have Muna and Jason, two male counselors, one's from California, one's from North Carolina. We're discussing how to recruit and retain male school counselors. We are also going to discuss my housekeeper items. Of course, I got to have my housekeeper items and my final thoughts on the slap her around the world and the three losers from the slap her run around the world that are not named Jada Smith, Will Smith, or Chris Rock. This is the part of the show I say, let go. This is the Council's Connection. I'm your host, Fabian Vicks, and I have two very special guests with me from two different parts of the country, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. We have Muna from California, and we have Jason from North Carolina. Fellas, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm going to start on my bottom when I'm looking at. I'm going to start with Jason. I want you to introduce yourself and you know whatever you want to tell. And same thing sure. for you, uh, Muna, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so my name is Jason Kubota. I'm a school counselor um, at Valmede Elementary and West Lenore Elementary in Caldwell County, which is in the western part of North Carolina. Um, so I work with K through five, and it's a Title I school. So used to hide high needs populations. Hi everybody, my name is uh, Muna Osisioma. I am a middle school counselor at um, MacArthur Intermediate in Santa Ana, California. Um, that is south uh, in Southern California and that is uh, south of LA. Um, like Jason said, it is a Title I school. Um, it's a Title I district, if not necessarily Title I school. Um, and uh, this is my third year as a school counselor. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have um, be have our program be ramped um, prior to the, my last job, and then moving over to the uh, ramp school now as well. Um, the reason why I became a school counselor—I mean, a lot of reasons—but one of the biggest ones was our representation, like we're talking about today. Just just having you know school counselors that not only male but kind of look like me. So I'm excited to be here and talk to you all. Before we get started, both of you talk about your Title I schools. I know this is not re relevant in a sense to what we're going to be discussing today, but what are some stigmas that are attached to being a Title I school that folks don't realize it's not really a stigma? Either for both, for both of you, whoever want to answer first. Um, I'll let Muda go first if he's got something I'm thinking. Um, well, I don't. I don't see it honestly. I, there, the stigma is that the that the jobs are more difficult. Um, that the students um, have a lot of needs, uh, high needs, as in uh, lack of resources, 
um, and have other challenges. And therefore there isn't a lot of parent involvement and parent support. That honestly hasn't really been my experience though. I, I just think that's just a, a feeling that people have. There's also the, sometimes the feeling that students can't achieve um, the, at the same level as students that from schools and families that aren't in the Title I uh, schools or districts. But again, I haven't really found that to be true. Yeah. And I kind of see the same thing. Everybody just kind of expects that it's a, it's a really hard job um, and whatnot. I, I, I've just recently moved from a high school to this Title I school. I will say it's not, it's not any more difficult. Um, still have passionate educators. You know, we do have, you know, we do have families with fewer resources and a lot of the job is connecting families to those resources, but um, I don't see any fewer, there's no fewer parents that want to do the best for their kids. And I can, I can always work with that. Yeah, a lot, um, I work in a district in, um, in the suburb south of Atlanta and some parents don't want that stigma of Title I where actually just more resources, especially like um, right now, since we're just, technically we're still in the pandemic, which we are. Um, it's not technically, that's logical, I said we are still in the pandemic. Um, they look at it as, well, our school is not poor. I have a good job. My husband has a good job. And it's not about that. It's more about not just you. It's about the, the 35 to 45 percent of students that are receiving free or lose lunch for those single parents. So parents are seasoned parents who are grandparents or older aunts who possibly are raising kids right now. So those are just extra resources as far as like right now, kids are two, basically two grade levels behind. And what would be great, more greater than to give Title I funds to schools right now so that way they can um, get extra, you know, read 180 or math 180 teachers or extra counselor or extra data clerk or a mental health wellness facilitator or a social worker, so forth and so on. It's just added resources to make sure we close those gaps, whether it's gonna be academically or socially or whatever. So it's not a bad thing because my previous district, the whole district was Title I. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, it's the same with my district. And honestly, like you said, a lot of us are, um, uh, you know, my first job, um, I was hired on the Title I funds. And so that allowed me not only as a, a school counselor of color to have um, the opportunity um, and kind of bring me in that way, but also it sends resources to schools that may need it. All right, let's get this party started. So we know that I'm in Georgia and I, I just looked up some data for the last five years. And if I count it, I think it was a couple of years ago when I pulled this data, it was almost 4,300 uh, counselors in the state. If I, my numbers might be a little off by one or 200. And out of those 4,300, about close to 4,000 were female counselors. And of course the demographics were um, majority Caucasian, then you have black female, then you have actually Chinese and Mexican were Hispanic, excuse me, were, were right in there. Uh, as far as male counselors, you don't see a lot. You mainly see majority African American. Then you see Caucasian. Then you then you might have one or two is one or uh, one or to three percent of Hispanic or Asian American. What is the reason why you don't see a lot of male counselors? In, male counselors in any demographic in our profession. I'm gonna start with Muna, then go to Jason. Yeah, I would say that um, first of all, in general across the board. Um, 
we don't really see that many uh, male males in uh, helping profession just in general. Um, so we, we can start there. So there aren't that many male therapists. There are that many male um, as many male teachers, and 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 just kind of across the board. I think historically, um, unfortunately, it's been seen as a domain um, that where you know women are helpers and and, and all of those things. Um, so I think that's the first stigma. And so I don't think that a lot of our youth are seeing that as um, a possibility, which that means that but because they don't have, there aren't that many people that, you know, they don't, they really don't have that many male role models to even look up to because um, in my opinion, the number one thing that helps um, a child envision something is seeing examples of that around them. So if there aren't that many of them, um, then again, there aren't that many, um, there isn't the pipeline. Additionally, I think, again, a lot of the research, a lot of the data, it's all it's kind of mostly been skewed towards the researchers are mostly uh, women or um, or female or just um, people who identify as women. Um, and so typically, again, with all those factors and, and more, I think that's that's one of the reasons why you don't see as many male counselors. And I'm, I'm largely in, in, in agreement with Muna there is just kind of the helping professions that is really skewed. Um, more toward the female demographic. Um, what's really been stark for me going, I recently moved from the high school level to, to the elementary level and just seeing across the board, um, there are just not a lot of males. I, I work at two schools and, and one of my schools, I am the only male on staff. And at the other school, I'm the only male on staff except for the principal. Um, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think um, specifically to North Carolina, the requirements to become a school counselor in North Carolina, you have to, it has to be a KCREP accredited school, which basically means it's a 60 to 63 hour program, um, not a two year program, more like two and a half if you're really hustling. Um, but the thing with that is the, the requirements are really tightly aligned with the requirements to become a clinical mental health counselor. Um, and I think of all the difficulties that we have um, through the pandemic and just all the demands that we've been placed under, um, you know, I switched, I was switching schools, looking at maybe going into private practice. And I quickly found out that, you know, with Medicaid billing out what it builds out, I could make the same amount of money working half the hours, you know, and I think that could be a big thing that really pulls um, not just men away from the profession, but, but quality professionals of, of all, of all genders. Yeah, I have a couple of colleagues in my county where I'm at now, and they, they have their own private practice and have doctorates in this. Um, they're saying like, you know, at the stress of being a school counselor, I'm, I'm already LPC licensed and NCE. I might as well just, just do this full time and just not worry how to do, do, deal with the stress of transcripts or, you know, day-to-day -day politics or what, whatnot of, of that. And I could, I could understand it. I thought about doing my LPC and I thought about like, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't feel like getting 2,000 clinical hours. That's just, I'm already trying to get 80% of my time with students and 2,000 hours now, I'm, I'm good. So you're, you're both right about that. And let me just jump right into this, this next question. I'm gonna start with Jason and Damuna. What can we do as far as a district? What can you see districts possibly doing or even, um, Colleges possibly on um, building upon that um, demographic of males to even go into counselors because right now, the way school counselor has evolved, you don't have to be an educ don't have to have a background in education 
And I think that's in a plus for us because I don't have a, a undergrad in education. It's political science with a minor in music and mass comm. And I, you know, I thought to myself, I'm going to be a school counselor because I, besides the, the general answer, I never met my counselor. I want to make sure somebody don't get stuck like me that never had a relationship with a counselor. So what are some things that you can see that might be beneficial for males of any any um, work part of the workforce that would be beneficial for them to go back to school to get to, for three years, um, Jason? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's, that's a tough question. You know, I wonder about that a lot myself. Um, I, I attended um, graduate school at Appalachian State University in Boone, a very solid, um, very solid school counseling program and mental health program there. Um, but my graduating cohort was 14 women and me. You know, so it, that's just kind of the way it's going. And I think about what are some ways that we can do it? I mean, maybe to start like some directed scholarship opportunities for people knowing that they, you know, either they'll get stuff covered or they'll be able to cover a lot more things. Um, and I think just normalizing it. I mean, talking to some some males that are in the school counseling programs, they're a lot of them really they're just they think they just want to work at high school. You know, they, they don't even want to think about middle school and definitely not elementary. But and I think about that for myself, because there's there's just so little male influence in in those age ranges and just how beneficial it is. You know, we have some some kids that just have the hardest time and give their teachers the hardest time all day. But because I'm a male, they'll sit down, they'll give me a chance and they'll talk to me, you know, so just how important that is. Um, so I, don't, I think maybe targeted scholarships. I'm really kind of at a loss. I mean, other than that, I'd be curious to hear what Muna has to say. Yeah, I agree with targeted scholarships. I think um, we just need to make it a priority, right? The, the messaging around it and, and just kind of valuing, um, you know, just collecting data on it and sharing that out. Because I think that um, there isn't much work and, and, and I have to look into it deeper myself, but I don't really recall too much um, research studies or anything like that, talking about how um, e exactly important it is to have a male counselor. Um, there is research and educators of color, so that's kind of that intersection is also an issue. Like we don't really have less male male counselors, less male counselors of color. So the two different things too, but they kind of intersect a little bit there. So I think just making it a priority. I think having these conversations um, and just kind of removing the stigma. Um, and honestly, part of it is the fact that men typically or males typically don't really ask for help right so um and part of that is like who the helpers are in male either so there's, there's a lot of different things going in there but just talking to going to counseling and, and talking to a counselor is not something that a lot of um males do anyway and so just kind of normalizing that i think uh one idea that i have because i used to, I, I coach basketball uh for for a few years here um and one thing that made a connection for me, helped me decide I want to be a school counselor is through mentoring, um, you know, players and just thinking, okay, this is seeing that in a section. So I think um, coaches to counseling is kind of like an almost, I wouldn't say natural progression, but that could be a pipeline as well, because, you know, there are a lot of athletes who are also uh, students as well. You guys can see my screen. I was a little bit off by the data, but like I told you, about a couple hundred. But over this, um, me and Bob, Dr. Gway, we did a um, 
like a work meeting for GSCA last year. And we had all this mail saying where we try to talk about like things we do for us, same thing. And if you look here from 2015 to 2021, the number of female counselors in Georgia has risen by, by like 10%. And as you can see, the number of male counselors have risen almost 10%, but yet you see the discrepancy as far as female counselor versus male. This is not in the full demographic as far as um, Asian American or African American, Hispanic American, so forth and so on. But you can see right here, back in 2015, you got 3,220 female counselors versus 442 males. You go all the way up to last fiscal year, 3,687 male versus 482, which is an improvement, but the the discrepancy is still a large discrepancy. Just this, just in Georgia, I I wasn't able to get America, the whole United States of America's data. I, I tried to reach out to the um, USODI and try to get get those demographics, but I wasn't able to get those as of yet. I'm still trying, but uh, this is just a snapshot of you know California. I can bet these numbers are at least triple, probably. I would guess. Am I about? Am I off, Muna? Yeah, I actually, I actually haven't looked at the data. Um, so anything I would say would be anecdotal, but I will say that, um, you know, often when I go to, you know, counselor meetings, um, you know, there's there are only a handful of us. Uh, my, my school site actually has a second male counselor, which is basically unheard of, um, uh, you know, at, at my district. So, yeah, I, I definitely would want to look into that further, for sure. But I haven't looked at that data. Anything different from your end, Jason, or was this about accurate for, for what yeah, you said? Yeah, that's that's pretty much my experience as far as the numbers go. Actually, you know, and I wonder, you know, those those number of male counselors. I don't know how many are, because I I just I just came from a from a high school where I worked with another male counselor, but but he was a football coach, and and I'm, I'm all fine with counselors being coaches. I think that's great, but he was a football coach first, um, and what what kind of conflict that puts in and what kind of time you can dedicate to all your other students. Um, so I'm, maybe that's stereotypical, but I do kind of wonder about that number and how many are just kind of shoehorned in because that, that's where they fit in the staff. So we yeah, got, definitely. Um, go, go, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. Move uh, I, was gonna, I was gonna piggyback off what you said. It, it, it definitely is a, a difficult transition to coach and be, because that's, I stopped coaching when I became a counselor uh, because I felt like that kind of hit the same similar things. Um, so when I coaching and doing another job, I tend to find is you really coaching first. And so I can agree with you that even though I think that could be a potential pipeline, I'm not sure that the coaches would be willing to kind of let, let coaching go um, or even to emphasize counseling. Now, Jason, you say directed scholarships. Are you talking about the universities? Or are you talking about LOAs? Um, I, I could think either, really. I think it would be great if you, you know, a university had scholarships specifically for, for male students, you know, and then have it directed that in such a way that, I mean, this would have to be a significant amount of money, but, you know, have to match. I think about like uh, the, the teachers programs that the states have where, you know, if a teacher gets an education degree and then they work in the profession for five years and their loans are covered. So I think maybe something to that effect to really, you know, draw out because we, I mean, we got talented young men that 
that really have an important perspective to share with these students. And, you know, let's, let's, you know, we're counselors, we're, we're used to getting rid of barriers. So, you know, let's do that. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think it's also important for us to just be out there and be, be present, um, you know, and just kind of make it a priority because um, the more, more male students that see me as and see what I do as an option for them, the more likely they are that they would consider it when the time comes. Because it's not like there aren't workers out there that could be counselors. It's just they're not choosing this. So I think that, but also I think we really should think about pay, right? Because even raising, right now working in education is just not um, that lucrative, right? So people who pick it, pick it because they have a heart for it, which is great. Um, I think, you know, having a heart for it is important. But also, it should also make, you know, dollar, you can make dollars and cents at the same time. It doesn't have, just have to be like a either or. And I think if it's a little bit more lucrative, um, then I think we would draw more people as well. All right, let's go to the other half of this, the retaining part. Of course, um, we have male counselors. We're also, well, we're unicorns already. And let's say for instance, oh, I have an AP position um, that I think you might be interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a friend of mine who was an AP who was a graduation coach, but also a counselor, but went to administration. I never, I never had an opportunity to ask him, why did you switch from counselor to administration? You, from what I saw in the articles that, that were given about you, you were a great counselor when you went to admin. So what are some reasons why Council going to admin is it because pay rate is it because they're being pushed by their administrators to be an administrator to have another male presence as far as discipline, or is it just other uh, Moon and Jason? I mean, I I I am considering admin currently, um, and one of the reasons why, or I would consider, well, there are a few reasons. One reason is that the pay thing is one of them. A second reason is just, just having, I think that admin is typically focused on discipline and discipline is not a bad thing necessarily, but the way that um, a lot of admin approaches it can seem, it's not as restorative as it should be. And so as a counselor, there's always the, the thought in your head that, okay, um, if I were in the situation, um, I could potentially do this, that, and the other thing. Um, so that's also in the back of my head thinking, okay, um, one, value the students. Two, value the families. Three, even value counselors, because we do know that counsel, uh, um, it's not always the best relationship between um, admin and counselors. So having more counselor, uh, former counselors become admin also helps because then they understand exactly what we do. And then they understand like what our duties should be. And they're not kind of pushing us down, you know, into um, the route where we're just being guided as counselors um, and or, um, they don't, they know what ASCA, they actually understand what ASCA is and, and what, what, you know, duties should be. So those would be reasons for me, particularly to consider admin over counseling. Um, yeah. And then I can see, you know, in, in North Carolina, there's a big, not, not a huge, but a, a significant pay difference between the admin positions and the, uh, the 60 year professional, whatever class they have us in. Um, so that, I mean, you know, to an extent is an appeal, you know, um, especially working in education, you know, it's, 
you know, I definitely got into this because I have the heart for it, you know, and then that's all well and good when I was a single guy, you know, $40,000 a year. It's a lot when you're a single guy, at least live in North Carolina, not so much in California. Not, but, not in uh, California. Yeah. No. But, but I, I could manage it, you know, I could live on my own, do my own thing. But, you know, now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm moving on in life. I'm married, just had a, had a baby about a week ago. So, so real life, real life's coming up real quick, you know, and, and if you're putting, you know, thinking about it now, like I can live on what I'm living on now, but when I look at retirement, that's one thing I think about. Cause you know, if I'm putting away 6% of my money into retirement, 6% of $45,000 is a lot less than 6% of 70 or 80 or, or whatever. Um, so I think about that, you know, I think when it comes to retaining, um, especially with as closely aligned as, as school counseling is with mental health counseling and how easy it is. Um, I mean, I'm not licensed currently, but I'm, you know, I've gone a, a long way through the process and just knowing that, you know, I could easily, you know, it starts out supplementing your income, but then you're like, Hey, you know, if I can control my hours, um, if you're inconsistently, you know, if your administration's difficult to work with, I could see wanting to get away from that. A lot of reasons, you know, and, and as far as, um, you know, I, 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 I wonder as far as directing males toward administration, if that's kind of like a, just kind of a habit of the past that males are in administration and education. I don't know. Um, I wonder if part of it also is just the way attrition is in public schools that we got so many good people leaving all the time um, that the people that stick around eventually are just going to be guided towards those administrative positions. Um, I can say for myself, you know, I have great relationships with my principals that I have now. I, I admire what they do, but I also see the hours that they put in. I see them driving the bus. I see them doing all this stuff. And um, I love my job. I love working in education, but I got a family too, and I got to make time for them. Um, so I don't see myself doing it. I think if I were to head out of the profession, it'd be more towards private practice. But I mean, those, all those polls are happening. You know, if you're, if you're a quality employee in education, you know, they're going to try to put you in a spot where you have the biggest impact. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. And yeah, um, and when I um, when I talk about considering it, for me, it, like it, it boils down to mostly just impact again, like you said, and just wondering if that's the if that's the best way to sort of support the profession of school counseling, but also support the school at large. Because I think that we do need more. Um, and my admin, I've, I've been, I've had the best admin, like uh, at both of my sites um, that I've been at, but I just often wonder like, you know, what would the world look like if the people who were making the decisions, you know, had a different approach. Yeah. And I've, I've had that experience or I've, I've worked with administration that, that straight up said to my face, they had no idea what accounts were supposed to be doing. Um, and then I've worked with an administration that had an idea and really trusted me to do what I could do. And the experience is night and day for sure. So, so we have possibly direct scholarships, um, either at a school, school level or at the district level, possibly what, are, um, I think you also said possibly doing like a, a loan forgiveness for male counselors. They go into the field, get your degree, and then have the loans pay back in five years. That's actually a pretty good idea. It gives a center for somebody to go back to school. What can, let's look at it like this. What can some school districts do to retain the counselors they have in their district from leaving as far as like 
shifted to another county for like an upgrade in pay or better better quality of life, whatever. What can we do to keep the councils where they're at now? I'm gonna start with Jason and Amuna. Yeah, I think um, and it's something I've thought about a lot. I've changed between changing districts and and seeing how one district handles things versus another. Um, I think the biggest thing they can do is with his, um, at least, especially at the lower levels in middle school and elementary, where I, I'm the only counselor on my site, I think what they could do is um, increase the opportunities for us to collaborate. You know, we, we have so much, so much knowledge between all of us that um, really the most important thing we could be doing is making sure that we're being intentional and, and spending the time to share those ideas and, and sharing the best practices and what's worked. Um, and I think that's, that's important for both male counselors. I mean, I think it'd be great for myself. Like what if I had like a monthly male counselor group where we just all get together and, you know, either have a beer or sit around and, and have some coffee and talk about what we're dealing with. Um, and I'd, that'd be great for male counselors. It'd be great just as a counselor in general. Um, I think really just promoting, promoting that, um, that cohesion and that we're working together and get rid of those feelings. I think some of us really feel like we're on our own a lot and, and that doesn't need to be the case. Sorry, I, I was kind of listening to, to him and thinking about what he was saying. So um, can you remind me what the question was? I gotta remember what the question was. Oh, my bad. It was, uh, what can we do as far as districts and keeping the councils in, yeah. in the district instead of moving on to like um, another, another? Um, I get if you get moved, that's nothing you can control, but right from that aspect. Yeah, I agree with Jason that, it, you know, honestly, people um, just wanna be appreciated, whether that's with, um, you know, financially um, built, you know, creating opportunities for them to collaborate, people want to grow. It's, it's the same thing with students, right? They go where they feel like they're welcome. Um, and I think that, that that should be the emphasis of, you know, districts. It's just getting, just understanding what school counselors do, um, understanding, you know, doing, re doing recognition programs where you are recognizing, you know, school counselors, also recognizing male school counselors when that those opportunities come up um, for what they do. Uh, for, for many of us, we have to do extra, right? Because um, we're the only ones. So for example, um, I, I don't do discipline at, at all, but occasionally let's say that, you know, I've had a parent given, you know, um, an office staff like a hard time or something like that. And I know because of gender dynamics that if I, you know, if I go over and I say, hey, what's going on over here, that means that they're going to be, they're going to back up, you know, it's sexist, but they're going to back up and think, oh, okay, uh, a guy's getting involved. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to step back a little bit. And so just a pre, I think more appreciation and then making it, you just, we just have to be intentional about what the kind of schools that we want to have, the kind of school districts we want to have. Um, we work, I have to find that counselors work in silos. Part of it is, especially if you're a male counselor, a lot of your teammates are not male. And so um, your experience is entirely different than their experiences. And so making those connections across schools um, would be a good way. Um, and I would say districts can do more PDs targeted to, towards retention of you know male uh, counselors and just kind of talking about the issues and looking into data and research on what the experience is like for male counselors and then kind of highlighting that back. 
those things I think would make it feel like it make us feel less alone. And if we feel less alone, then we can all pull in the, in the same direction. Um, I do think that again, like I mentioned before, um, education in general does have the same problems, the same issues. Um, there are just more, whether you're male or female, I think they're just more uh, female counselors and female educators available. And so they end up pushing past whatever barriers there are to do them. But if it's just more attractive in general, you will get, because people are looking for, like they want opportunities, looking for opportunities, you just kind of offer those to them. Okay. Yeah, I was, was there's got to be a way. I mean, like I said, I think you both said it, education is just not a field where you see a lot of male, like um, we're, the health profession might see police officers, you might see some EMS workers. Education is just not one that is more, it's more, I would say, pushed for us. I would say you probably might, might be, I just don't want to deal with those kids. And I, honestly, Honestly, I feel like that might also be, sorry, uh, I feel like that might also be part of why the pay is not as high, right? Because I think that in industries where there are more uh, males in them, the pay tends to be higher because um, society has um, agreed that they're going to value the uh, males and what they bring to the table. So there are a lot of male doctors, therefore doctors make a lot of money. There are a lot of, you know, they're like, you know, pilots are male, again, same thing, business, CEOs, all those things. Um, or situation or in fields where there are more males, maybe if there were more male counselors, um, they would, sad to say, value counseling more and think about you know paying all counselors more money. I read an article a couple of years ago. I want to say I want to say that African American female is the highly highest educated person in America, but probably the lowest paid person in a sense. You see what I'm saying? They have the high. They have the highest amount of degrees, but their value is not reflected on that. Which goes back to what you were saying on that, which is a travesty. Not just for African American female, but females in general. But you know, that's just it sucks all around because it's just based on the gender is the is the pay recognition, which is it shouldn't be. Which is why I would think Title Title Nine should it makes things more equitable or more opportunities to be available for, for females and males so that way they have the same opportunities as females have, women have the same opportunities as males as well. Um, you guys have any final thoughts or anything before we close this on out? I'll, I'll start out. Um, I'll, I'll just say for, if there's any, um, any, male, any male counselors out here that are um, thinking about you know, working at the elementary or the middle school level, I, I definitely encourage it. Um, it's something, I mean, I, I didn't mind working at high school. It was fine, but I felt like a lot of students, you know, if they weren't looking for a letter of recommendation, then they, they generally didn't find their way to my office. So um, I feel like I know all, a lot of students. I'm in their classrooms all the time. I'm, I'm working with them. I'm kind of a minor celebrity, you know, on, on my campus. And, um, and the, you know, when they're younger, they're not, it's not, they're not too cool for school, I guess, you know, it, it's still cool to be passionate about things. It's cool to, to high five an adult, things like that. And it's, it's a really awesome experience and, and really the powerful conversations that you can have, you know, I can, I can sit down with an eight-year-old boy and, you know, or I, I do lunch groups. So I'll have a, you know, a group of eight-year-old boys and we sit and we talk is what does it mean to be a man? And that conversation is a lot more powerful when it's had with me than, 
you know, I don't, I don't know how you have that conversation with the with the female leading that. Um, so I think uh, the male perspective is really needed in schools, and um, and really, and I, I feel valued also in a good use of time. Yeah, I just want to um, first of all thank you for you know putting this together. I think it's a topic that was needed, um, and obviously this is not the end of the conversation. We can't really just you know, wrap it up in 30, 40 minutes, hour, two hours, five hours, whatever. It, it's just not done. But I think these conversations will help uh, because I think when you put this out there, um, more people can will come to it because they will, they will feel, they feel isolated in their areas. So being able to hear other male counselors talk about it will start the process. So my thing would be, I, I'd encourage um, you, uh, Mr. Vicks, in, in what you're doing. And I'll say, this is a topic that I think, um, you, we should continue having and just kind of bringing more voices to the table because we do need to make those connections across the board. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I encourage us to, you know, we're very busy, but I continue to encourage us to, you know, to get out there and, and show leadership, um, take on leadership opportunities as they present themselves. Um, not taking away the mic from our female counterparts who also need, we need to make sure that the voices are heard, but also be part of the conversation and a part of that leadership and not just think about, you know, ourselves and our own silos, but understand that the work we do um, can move the profession forward because of our unique, um, our unique experiences, our unique, our unique standpoints. So I, I, I'm confident, I haven't had somebody tell me this yet, but I'm confident that by just existing, that I'm encouraging male students to consider counseling as an option. So I think that just continue to have these conversations being out front is, is necessary. Jason and Moon, I wanna thank you for taking your time out on a Saturday. And I know Moody, you in California, you know, living your best life in sunshine and stuff. So, you know, just, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my Stephen A. Smith. I'm just so disgusted that you're in California right now. <laughs> I pay for it, though. Like like Jason said, talk about being alone and making 40 and being like, happy with that. I'm just like, really? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, just, I, I, we end up paying for it. But I appreciate, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity. Thank you, Jason and Moon. And we'll be right back with more Council Connection right after this. This is the part of the show where I do my housekeeper items. Of course, you can find me on the Twitter at Fade the PSC. You can find me on Facebook at the Council Connection with Fabian Vicks. If you listen to the podcast on a website or an app, it can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Uh, some upcoming episodes I will be having Aaron Bundrich and Jeff Miller from Woodland Middle School to discuss how they went ramp during the pandemic here. Uh, a couple episodes after that, we will have uh, Caroline Perry and Steve Sharp. Hopefully, we'll be discussing Moon Knight and tying that in the um, school council. You know, that's our thing with comic book movies. And we love comic book movies. We're going to try to tie it into. Um, counseling what we can maybe the batman might get thrown in there and spider way spider-man no way home possibly you know um some different things that we've seen over the last few, um, few months maybe man maybe um boba fett I haven't watched it yet but maybe i'll watch it soon but um 
those are some upcoming things that I'm excited about for um for this podcast. And of course, you know, I will be presenting at ask a conference on strengthening the school counselor principal relationship. So those that are going to ask a check us out, our sessions on Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Central Time. So I hope to see you there. I'm going to keep pushing it until the day of the conference. And we'll, we'll go from there. And I don't want to give away too many more secrets of what we might be doing for the conference. But, you know, we'll see. We'll be right back my final thoughts on Chris Rock and Will Smith. final thought if you have not heard about the incident at the Oscars this past Sunday with Chris Rock and Will Smith then you must have been living under a rock Um, for those that have been living under a rock Chris Rock made a statement to Jada Smith about love Europe can we see in G.I. Jane 2 Will Smith laughed at the joke but then realized oh Jay didn't like it, so he walked up to Chris Rock and slapped the taste out of his mouth on the stage. And Will proceeded to tell Chris Rock to relieve, do not put the name of my wife in your mouth with the few extra words in it that I will not be airing on this podcast. And the crazy thing is, not crazy, but he went back actually and won the Oscar for Best Actor when he should have won it for either Ali or or for uh, playing the doctor in concussion. A couple of different ways he should have times she should have actually won it. Six degrees of separation would have been another one. He should have won as well for best supporting actor, but we're not gonna get into the um, that part of the Oscars and whatnot. So but the reason why I'm talking about this is because there's two different couple of different sides. Either Will was wrong or Chris was wrong with a joke. We can look at it however many ways, but we could say this person is wrong, he was wrong, but I'm gonna tell you the biggest losers of the night. The, the two sets of biggest losers, the first set was Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, and Regina Hall. As we know, Oscars have not been as diverse you know, over the 90s plus year history of, of the award and the Academy. Um, they're starting to open their doors in a sense to more minorities and women as far as in the prominent roles of the Oscars. Um, three women hosts, they were magnificent when they hosted, but all of that was overshadowed by a slap. All the time, prep, and the hard work they put into preparing for the Oscars, their shine was overrun. It was shaded by a by 40 steps onto the stage to slap another human being on live television. Now I'm getting to should they take his Oscar? They shouldn't. Because if you take his Oscar, you need to go back to Harvey Weinstein and go from there. Start from Harvey Weinstein and go forward. If you're going to take away anybody's Oscar, start with Harvey Weinstein, go forward. Then when you, if, you, if you get to Will Smith and it's, it's as egregious as what Harvey Weinstein has done over the last 30, 40 years, then I have no problem with it. 
but miss me with that. I enjoyed Wanda, Amy, and Regina. I thoroughly enjoyed them as hosts. They're hilarious. Wanda Sykes is so funny. She has that slick humor. Like me, I have slick humor, so it's very few funny. Amy is very smart, funny, and Regina was just hilarious. And I, I appreciate them for what they did on the show. And I just hated that they didn't get enough shine for what they did because it's overshadowed by a slap. The second loser, for those that don't know who this person is, you should know him, it's Will Packer. If you don't know who Will Packer is, you need to look him up. If you give me a second, I'll do it for you. Will Packer is a family of alumnus who had an amphitheater named after him a few months back. If you look at what Will Packer has done, he's done a lot of things. Let's, let's look at some movies that he's done. Think Like a Man, Think Like a Man 2, The Wedding Ringer, No Good Deed, Straight Out of Compton, Ride Along 2, Almost Christmas, Girls Trip, Breaking In, Night School, What Men Want, Little, Jacob's Ladder, The Photograph. Um, a couple projects upcoming on um, Parts Oracle and Praise This. Um, TV shows, Uncle Book, that didn't last long, but. Reboot of Roots, Being Mary Jane, The Quad, The Atlanta Child Murders, Ambitions, Bigger, The Movie Bigger, I believe it's going to be turned to a TV show, That Girl Lele. So many credits to his name, and you look at Think Like a Man, Think Like a Man 2 is the most prominent movies in Straight Outta Compton. He was executive producer. Um, he was the executive producer for the Oscars. Under his guidance and leadership, the Oscars Oscar viewership went up 56% this year to 15 million viewers. Nobody's not going to remember the things they did because of the slap. And one quote from, from Will Packer, which um which took me up, which took me aback. This was a very painful moment for me via the Hollywood reporter. Some people are saying, how could you let Will stay stay in the, uh, in, the, in the Dolby Theater? Why is he still there? Well, for one, this is a live show. If it was pre-taped, if it was a taped award show like the um, Stella Awards, you could have edited out a whole lot of stuff. You could have edited out the, uh, the moment. You could have edited out all the way to Chris Joke to when he started doing the um, Name the nominees for best documentary, which also got overshadowed, which is a third loser, which we'll get to in a moment. This man put this man was given an opportunity as the first African American executive producer of the Oscars. 50%, 56% increase in viewership. But we were not going to be talking about that because we're talking about a slap. Third loser is Questlove. If you know Questlove. From the Roots, drummer, also for the Jimmy Fallon um, Night Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Big loser. Now we look up Questlove, what he, what's the name of his documentary? It is, let me find the name of it because I cannot remember the name of it. Famous documentary for Summer of Soul. The revolution will not be televised. When the revelation could, revolution could not be televised. Best doc, original documentary. I want to ask for that. 
talking about 1969 music festival in New York. Right after civil rights have, you know, you know, been instituted. Of course, we've only been free for less than 60 years, so you know, you know. That moment from him being taken away by Chris Rock delivering his Oscar. That moment for him was taken away because of a slap, which goes back to why we talk about the losers and what does the slap have to do with school counseling? Easy, simple and easy. When we make decisions, we have consequences to deal with. So when you make that decision to walk on stage and put your hands on another human being, you should expect consequences. It might not be criminal. It might not be civil. It could be consequences that you cannot fathom. We don't know what the consequences are going to be from the academy. We don't know if Will's going to be banned or he's going to have to um, return his Oscar. I don't think that he would have to. That would be, like I said earlier, it would be a stretch. But decisions that we make affect us dearly. It's going to affect Will minorly. It might affect Chris for a while, but the heartache and the pain and the rehashing of an incident will go on and on and on and on, all the way to next year when the Oscars roll around, where he has to present for Best Actor or Best Actress next year. That's if he's not banned from the, the Academy for a year. Or he might not get any movie deals because some some are, some um, news reports saying Will is a, a privileged actor. Is he? Is he really? Because last time I checked, he's still African American. And we have to be just twice as good just to get half of what, what other actors have. So I would not be surprised if Will doesn't have any more opportunities right now. But he's going to be very selective. He's earned that right to be selective. But I wouldn't be surprised if folks took a beat on him and realize I just don't want I just don't want to get slapped with the repercussions of putting him on a movie. So just think about actions that you take and the ramification that I have a long term and short term. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I want to thank Muna and Jason for hopping on my podcast and we are out.